everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 25, One Interface to Rule Them All, recorded November 6th, 2011, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, our original show sort of degenerated uh, into a discussion about user interfaces, and so we decided to scrap the original topic and just talk about that. So we're going to talk a a little bit about... um, interfaces and uh, why they suck and why how we can make them suck a little less. And uh, with us tonight, we have uh, the godfather of the command line, Mr. Chris Neves. Hello, Chris. Hello, everyone, and how's it tonight? So far, so good. And of course, uh, our gooey kid is back with us, Mr. Seth Anderson. Say hello, Seth. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Did you miss me? I, I didn't throw anything at you, so I didn't miss you. Um, <laughs> but just to make sure that we don't have all four of our hosts together on one night, Aaron took the night off. So, uh, Because if we all got together, uh, who knows what could happen? The universe could explode. It would be uh, unusual. Aaron uh, has become a runner in the last year and has done several 5Ks and decided to sponsor or... Uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but run his own 5K event. He did that yesterday, so it was uh, about a 4 a.m. to 4 a.m. day for him. You know, it was a long day, and then he slept a little bit today, and then he's got some sort of evaluation at work tomorrow that he seemed to think was more important than being on this show. I'm not really sure about that, but that that was his list of priorities, so he's not going to be with us this week. Uh, that's so typical. We will just soldier on without our noob in residence. Feedback. We are begging. We have hundreds of downloads of this show every week and zero feedback. Well, I take that back. There has been a couple of bits of feedback, um, but we need to hear from you to know what to, what to do, how to, how to carry on this show, what, what comes next. Uh, we've got about uh, two shows or so in the hopper, and then we're completely out of ideas. Um, Seth made a joke. I was talking to him earlier today. And uh, he said, maybe we just need to call this show Winging Our Way Through Linux um, because we always are so unprepared. But you know what? I like that, actually, because I think that's what most Linux users do. They wing their way through it. And I like the fact that we represent you. We, we are doing that thing. We're, we're struggling and, and having questions. Um, and this might have been easier back in the early 2000s when there were more problems. But dang it, Linux has gotten too good now. <laughs> we just don't have that many problems. Or so we like to say. Well, what was the last um, really significant issue you had, Chris? Well, besides the webcam. Right. That's well, that's one. And then my uh, power controller that doesn't work on in half, th- or let's see, out of all the new distros so far, the only one that's worked has been the new Fedora, and that was only in beta. Yeah, but that's an issue with hardware and not really one you can fix. I guess that's my point. The the, the yeah. problems, they're either problems are insignificant or they're unresolvable, insurmountable. Yeah. What so about it seems you, to Seth? boil down to. Um, with Linux, the last, usually the issue I have is finding a uh, wireless or finding a distro that my wireless uh, card works on my little NL1 netbook. And, you know, and sometimes I just can't find it out there, and sometimes you got to dig a little, but drivers are the, pretty much the only issue I've really ever had in Linux. Yeah. I saw, I, ju- I just want to go back to this. Uh, it was a, I know, I don't want to beat the, the thing to death, and it's not in the notes, but it was just something that popped in my mind when you said that for some reason. It was somebody who put a post on Google Plus about the difference between um, Steve Jobs and um, ugh, the name just flew out of my head. We mentioned him on the show. He died in the same week as Steve Jobs invented. Oh, AC. golly. I was just reading about him today uh, in an article. Hello World, about- dude. Right. What's his name? The Hello World guy. I can't think of his <laughs> name off the top of my head. Anyway, it's it's... Oh man, I, I maybe I just should stop this entire train of thought. But no, I'll go ahead <laughs> and I will be rapidly googling his name uh, while I do that. But anyway, the the point he made was that we we tend to be um, what's the word short sighted 
Was in, it Dennis Ritchie? Race. Dennis Ritchie. That's, that's it. it. And uh, and again, you got to understand, this is very biased post from somebody who's obviously very uh, maybe pro Linux or at the very least Apple app uh, anti Apple. But what he said was, uh, without Steve Jobs, we would have no iProducts products and no overly expensive laptops. Without Dennis Ritchie, we would have no Windows, no Unix, no C, no Mac, no programs of any kind, a large setback in commu- uh, computing in gener- general, and we'd all be reading in binary and hexadecimal. Um, and yet, when Steve Jobs died, he was lauded and, and basically uh, made to be uh, some folk hero. And when Dennis Ritchie died, nobody except a few geeks on a podcast noticed. So I don't know that I have a point there, and I don't necessarily agree with all of that, but it, it did um, just make me think. It was just the idea that uh, um, if you can make something sexy, then people will give you more credit than you actually deserve. You know, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, sort of was a good salesman. Somebody called him the uh, uh, the Edison hour of our time or the Da Vinci of our time. I think he was more like the P.T. Barnum of our time. He yeah, was, he, he was a good promoter. And yeah, because I mean, because yeah, I was, um, I don't want to get the show too political, but since Aaron's not here, I guess it's, um, somebody has to, <laughs> you know, it was just like how all the people who like hate the 1%, they all love Steve Jobs. But one of the first things he did at Apple was cut all, um, charitable giving, but because he was such a good promoter and such a good marketer. It didn't matter what he did because what he presented, people liked. And it was, you know, and whereas somebody like Dennis Ritchie, who what he did was awesome, he didn't bother to present it. Nobody, n- nobody knew about him to like him or hate him. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris, I'll let you have your say and then we'll move on. I, did, I didn't want this to go too far, but it was just a, a thought that popped into my head and I thought I'd mention it because I have so few thoughts. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, um, you, you guys are echoing what I was what I was going to say anyway. Um, Steve Jobs, yeah, he he was a he was a seller. I mean, that, he would be oh, what was that guy that the not the sham was it the sham wow guy? Billy Mays. There you go. Yeah, he's just. I mean, that's what Steve Jobs reminds me of. You know, yeah, he had insight on what the consumer would want, but he didn't do too terribly much himself. He would always stand on the backs of giants. Yeah, or Steve Wozniak in that case. He's kind of a little guy. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're still standing on the back of somebody. <laughs> okay, so moving right along. Chris, your favorite distribution in the world, Fedora 16, uh, has hit the, the final release stage, right? Yes, it has. As of, I believe, the, re- the go or no-go meeting that the ambassadors have on, I believe it was Wednesday, uh, Fedora 16 was declared final. So it will be released on Tuesday on schedule. That's so NASA-ish. I need a go, no go for launch. <laughs> I can just see them going around the table. Table user interface, go. Uh, bootloader system, go. Um, package manager, go. That's pretty close to how those meetings go, actually. Uh, there, there were a bunch of zero day, or not zero day, that's Windows, but um, what they call uh, blocker bugs. That were at the at, during the initial meeting, there were I think five or six blocker bugs, showstoppers. and then that yeah, showstoppers—that's another word for them. Um, but they got resolved the next day. So during the next day's meeting, they went go, and so now we're we're waiting, and the the, the distros are spinning, the discs are being manufactured, and look out, world! Here comes Fedora 16. So that's due out on uh, the eighth of November. Yeah, Tuesday. My da- my torrents will be running. <laughs> so, so fire up your torrent uh, clients that night. Yep. How, how do they do that? Do they drop uh, like midnight Eastern time or, or how does that work? No, they drop like eight o'clock Tuesday morning. Okay. So yeah, they'll, they'll they come out right away in the morning. You'll be ready to go by dinner time. Um, and they release, if I remember right, there's a GNOME Live, a KDE Live. And then a DVD version that come out on that day, all right. and then all their spins come out. You know, they trickle out later on. Right, and and 
just in case anybody's listening who doesn't know what that means, the live discs are the ones that will run off the DVD without actually being installed on your system. So okay. that's the try-before-you-buy approach. And the live discs are CDs, not DVDs. Right. Just like you, just like Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Like I, and Ubuntu. Whatever. I don't think anyone's going to come up and knock on my door because I said Ubuntu or Ubuntu. That joke never gets old. <laughs> no, it um, doesn't. Also coming up this week, or very soon, is uh, Firefox 8. Roughly 47 minutes after Firefox 5 came out. <laughs> yeah, and actually, they've already released it. It has since came out. Um, yep, it's it, it's up on the mirrors and up on uh, up on their FTP that you can download right now if you wanted to. All right, it's actually it's officially released the eighth of November as well. So Tuesday is going to be a big day. So it's it's finalized and available, but not uh, your your system will be automatically updating for a couple of more days. Yep, or actually the day yesterday by the time this comes out, this will go out on Wednesday. So. It will have happened yeah. yesterday. Yeah, it would be populating the mirrors as we record. Right. Populating the mirrors. What a geeky thing to say. We are such geeks. <laughs> uh, what did you call me last week? You, you you love me like a brother, but man, I'm a geek. Isn't that Something what you like called that. it? That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I just hold my colors true. <laughs> You're honest about who we are. I've never denied me being a geek. In continuing my uh, show notes for the beginning, um, I can officially say that Kubuntu plus evolution equals lots of uh, suck. <laughs> um, does that it be, suck as much as Facebook does? Uh, pretty close. Wow. Wow. That's bad. Close, yeah. That's a pretty high bar for suckage. <laughs> for well, me, it is. That, that, that's the holy grail of suckage standards is the current <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> The reason I say that is uh, followers of our show knows that I run um, Linux all day long every day, even at work. And at work is a Windows shop with um, Exchange. And the current evolution that Kubuntu is releasing with the Mappy plugin installed just doesn't work. Um, You can receive mail, but you can't send. You can't get the global address book. It's just a big pile of poo. And Mappy, for those who might not know, remembering that we do have noobs who listen to the show, is the uh, mail uh, client for connecting to, uh, you mean IMAP? Instead of no. Mappy? No, Mappy? No, it's Mappy in the in Evo- or Exchange 2007. Oh. Okay, yeah, that's the Exchange protocol, specifically for Exchange. That's right. Yep. Uh, IMAP is the generic one and uh, the one that uh, every mail system in the world recognizes, except Exchange. Um, yep. So, yeah, if you're an Exchange user, stop it. That's all I have to say about that. doesn't matter what OS you're using. Just stop it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Outlook, Outlook is bad for you. Run away. <laughs> I never understood. Somebody is going to have to call me up or email me or something and, and explain Outlook to me. Explain to me why you like it. I, I have used it. I don't like it. I, I don't get it. Um, I, I get that there's some the, the whole integration thing, and my secretary can put things on my calendar, and I get that. But like every client made in the last ten years can do that. Why are you still using Exchange? Yeah. Well, or and why, if you have Outlook, do you use the crappy Outlook web access that is part of Exchange? You know, you pay all this money for Outlook, but yeah, every every end user, I'm in Outlook. No, you're not. You're in a browser running. Um, the Outlook web access, and it's even worse. It takes all of the bad points of Outlook and magnifies them. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the one way to word that. Yeah, I the, would agree with you. The school where my wife works, uh, they used uh, or worked. They still use it. They use the Outlook web access, and it, it's like everything good about Gmail taken out. So it's like let's take Gmail. Let's take all the good stuff. And let's take it all out and just give you a very bland interface and charge you a heck of a lot of money for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's like if you run Outlook on this computer, it's different than Outlook on your other computer. And if you made the mistake of downloading your emails to Outlook, then you don't have them when you go somewhere else. So it is definitely it's like Outlook was when it came out, it was a you know, it was a pretty decent program and they's like, let's not let's keep throwing junk into it and forget that we're in a web centric world. Um, I don't know. Not a big Outlook fan. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. But I do like Evolution. I, I do like that program, but not with Mappy. I've used Evolution and and it's okay. Uh, but again, I'm a Gmail guy. But I understand that you really do have to to sort of anoint yourself with in the Gmail way of doing things. Uh, you know, there aren't folders, there are labels, and and it's a very different sort of thing. And when I first started using it. I didn't like it much either, but once you sort of um, accept it, um, it really is an amazing way of doing things. And I, I would have a hard time going back to the standard mail client again. You know, I was just like you whenever I first tried to do the the labels in Gmail. I was like, this is so weird. But then after I did a couple, it clicked because it's a really awesome way to you can see all of your email um or you can filter, you can set it up where it mimics folders, and you can be specific to just that um, folder or that label. And I got to say, I'm re- I really like it now. As someone who thought, oh, I can't believe, why do they have to screw up stuff? I got to admit, this one is, they actually did a good job with that. It's really good. So from someone who hates change... That's one good change. Yeah, so. I decided I was going to get through one show without using the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid. But once you accept the Google mindsets, uh, you really do find yourself much happier. Yes. Yeah. Make so are you, guys using, are you guys using the nested labels or are you just using the straight-up labels? I just like flat label, labels. And in fact, I don't label much anymore at all. I just search. Um, yeah. because you have the awesome Google algorithm built right into your email. And that's that's my problem with Outlook and with Thunderbird and with Evolution. Uh, ser- uh, search sucks. And it's like, yeah. I know I got an email from the business office about this particular thing, and I'm pretty sure it might have had a PDF attached to it even. Um, trying to, con- to get that search is horrible, and it's going to take you all day, particularly if you're connected over IMAP. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, that's painful yeah so the search is going to be miserable and then the results aren't going to be very good anyway but in google you just type in you know uh the business person's name attachment pdf and it just spits out everything that might have that or just search for any word like if the word bobcat was in the email you just search for the word bobcat and it'll bring up everything and yeah i love that about it See, I'm I'm using the nested labels because I'm trying to keep things separate. So that way, if I'm, but I I don't nest the labels in too deeply, you know, like, um, because I I have a home business, so I need to have my clients under their clients label, but they're not sorted after that. I have multiple inbox for that, so I have I have the element op stuff, I have my personal stuff, and I have my work stuff. I have it all come to one account, but I use multiple inboxes, which is essentially uh, a label. Mm-hmm. See, I haven't set up multi-inbox yet, and I have a feeling that if I start using, once I start getting more than one email address, I have a feeling that's going to become my little friend. Right. And I love the little drop-down box when I'm sending an email. I just click the drop-down, and there's like nine choices there. Who do you want to send as? Uh, so <laughs> I can send from one, one account, one client, and have everything. Wow. So, yeah, this has become the Gmail show. <laughs> um, Seth, I'm thinking you put this in Linux heavyweights. What's that about? Um, oh, let me get back. Um, I don't know if y'all have heard um, the UEFI secure bootloader thing that's supposed to be a big deal in Windows 8 and how when it first announced, everybody said, oh, they're trying to lock Linux yeah. out of the desktop. That was much ado about nothing. It really was. Yeah. Well, there was yep. an article um, on Linux Journal that uh, Canical and Red Hat issued a joint statement about it, and it was just um, 
and that they talked about their position was mainly that hopefully manufacturers will put some way to disable that, whether it be like a hot key or something in the bio, some type of mechanism. And um, I did not read the article that they did, but rather somebody's coverage of the article and talked about how, you know, they really, it wasn't a bash Microsoft um, type of article, but it was, uh, you know, this seems to be the, maybe the, if not this particular thing, this model might be the future of computing has it. And, you know, the main purpose of it was a way to kind of stop bootloader, um, not bootloaders. Uh, I cannot think of the word. Root kits, yes, to stop mm-hmm. root kits from running. Um, yeah, and the idea that, is that everything has to be signed before it gets loaded. So even before right. you get to the OS, you've got to have a digital signature. Uh, and and Linux zealots threw a fit about TPM as well, trusted platform management, yeah. uh, and saying this was they're trying to lock us. No, it turned out to be a really good thing. Uh, so I don't know yeah, what's up with that. And the full name of the article was Linux Heavyweights Develop Secure Boot Strategy. So it was like kind of their moving forward has, you know, if you uh, kind of think of it, has just the next evolution of computer security. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it's going to be a good thing for to stop rootkits. And I think as long as the manufacturers give us the ability to still boot whatever we want to boot, you know, maybe even giving us the ability to self-sign our own stuff. You know, that would be nice, too, because then you can say, yes, I trust this. It's okay. That would be, a, you know, that would be a, f- a perfectly good workaround. Yeah. And, and, and but people have the idea that uh, Microsoft is going to make a deal with Dell and HP and say that you have to lock it down uh, so that only oh, uh, Windows can be installed on this. They have that, that idea that that's what's going to happen. But, okay, say they do. You just go into BIOS and turn it off. It's it's not a big deal. Well, the problem with that is for people who would like to dual boot, it is supposed to be required for Windows 8. So, you know, if you're going to boot to Linux, you got to go and turn it off. But if you want to boot to Windows, you got to go into the BIOS and turn it on. And so, you know. Now, that was not my understanding. Uh, my understanding was it was required to be, uh, to have the Windows 8 logo on your hardware. Yep. That's it. Oh, if it's well, if if you got the logo on it, then it has to have that thing enabled. And I don't yeah, think you can... like I say, just from the article I was reading, and I don't claim to be an expert of it, but that it was a requirement for Windows eight is is what this said. So maybe that is some misinformation that got reported out there. I I don't see how that's even possible. My understanding of the way it works is that's all before you load the OS. There's no way the OS can even ask that question. It's all hardware level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could very well be. So I, I don't know. But it's a, it was an interesting uh, thing to look at, and we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to read the article. Uh, and, Seth, you're just uh, totally loving uh, Unity, right? Well, I am. Uh, I am currently playing with it on a... Um, on my little netbook that is like my uh, test bed for everything. And it has a couple of little quirks. Like, for whatever reason, if the monitor goes to sleep, I have to reboot it. But so far, you know, in spite of a few little bugs, I'm actually liking it better than I thought I would. Quirks? That's a quirk? That sounds like one of those those things they call a toted feature, right? Well, Uh, uh, but I haven't ran all the updates yet. So, you know, I'm... Of course, with any OS, when you install it fresh, the first thing you have to do is updates. And I want to see, I want to see if that's something that continues after you know I get it fully patched. Um, and if there's some setting, I haven't played around a lot with the settings. I was just like, how does it look overall? And but uh, for someone who hasn't used it, but maybe just a couple of hours of toying around with it, I'm liking what I see and. There was a quote I found, which uh, there's going to be a crowd that is just too cool to use something that looks really slick, and there's nothing we can do for them. Uh, Mark Shuttleworth, who's the founder of Ubuntu Linux, defending his company's new uh, Unity interface. Uh, and that's a, so, the command line godfathers out there, those guys who run uh, text-based Linux uh, distributions. Right. And something like that. <laughs> um, but I can honestly say I think Unity sucks. 
flat out. I have no problem. I, I will call Mark Shuttleworth out and say, Mark, your Unity stuff sucks. Get rid of it. You know, well, if you're going to well, split the system, split the system, but at least base it on something that everyone can benefit from. Um, you, Mark split the, you know, literally Shuttleworth split the development community between GNOME and Unity. Why? You are now only having half as many developers. I, I personally think Unity is broken still. Um, it's better, but it's still broken. Um, load up Google Chrome once inside your Unity and see that everything is not working right. Or LibreOffice. All the little where the buttons are supposed to be, that's all broken still. Things written on GNOME or KDE. Yeah. Well, and, or, you know, or yeah, even open a KDE app. It at least in GNOME three, it at least looks right. In Unity, it's broken. Um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm setting my ways. I guess I, I just think it's a big pile of poop, and I won't. <laughs> I'm not moving to Unity. I don't care if it is the next coming of you know the whatever you want to call it. But well, having opened up like LibreOffice, I don't have a problem. I mean. It works fine for me, but I will say this. Unity is not perfect, but compared to GNOME, it is nothing short of Nirvana and Heaven combined. <laughs> wow. You know, because GNOME is, uh, if there's one thing that can approach the Facebook level of suckage, it is the GNOME level of suckage. And uh, Unity is not like that. And again, remember, I am running it on a netbook where... Um, I don't know if I ran it on a full screen laptop. It might be a little different, but on my netbook, it fits my netbook a lot better um, than some of the other distros I've tried to put on there. Um, you know, I have the side thing scrolling down the side that I can uh, go up or down, see what's there. I can get to other apps. Uh, I have this really cool uh, background picture that looks nice. Um, you're all about the GUI, right? The GUI kit. <laughs> yes. Uh, Unity and Windows 8 both uh, represent for me um, a disturbing trend, and that is the tabletification of OSs. The idea that all OSs have to be on a tablet now. Um, I like tablets. I have a couple of tablets, uh, and I have a smartphone, which is really just a small tablet. Uh, I'm not opposed to the 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 usefulness of them, and I, I don't oppose to them being a market uh, market niche. But I don't think they'll ever be more than a niche. And um, these large companies are banking on the fact that they they're going to be the workhorse platform. Like you know, Windows 8 is built around a touchscreen tablet interface that you can close and still have a desktop. But they want you to interact with the touchscreen tablet interface, um, and Ubuntu uh, Unity, I think, is going in that same direction. And I don't, I, I maybe I'm just a curmudgeon, but I just don't think that's the way things are going to be. I think people still want a PC, and they still want to do real work with a keyboard. They don't want to be touching the screen all day. That's nice at a kiosk at McDonald's for ordering your French fries, but it's not how you want to interact with your primary computing device. I. Totally agree with that, but again, my test machine is a tablet, uh, netbook convertible image. So, for what I'm using it on, I'm really liking it. So, I totally agree with you. I think let's take this awesome computer that can multitask with hyperthreading, and you can do all this stuff at once. And let's remove the user's ability to change things, and let's call it a feature, and let's make it a tablet. Again, for my primary desktop. I don't think I would like that, but for an on-the-go little netbook, Unity is awesome. And Ubuntu's plans seem to be to attack the tablet market. They're they're thinking that by 2014, they're going to have uh, full-fledged tablets out in the wild, and they're expecting to get traction with that. Um, Unity fits in with his vision to go after tablets. Yeah, I um, agree. Um, and But you're... And again, Microsoft is doing the exact same thing with, with Windows 8. Their flagship product now is going to be designed at, you know, 10-inch portable devices. And uh, I think it's short-sighted at best. Yeah, Steve Jobs uh, brought out the iPad, and the world kind of said, yeah, we don't think there's going to be a big market for that. And then they sold like 100 billion of them in the first day. Um, and, and then the rest of the world went, ooh, we got to get a piece of that. 
I, mm-hmm. I don't know that there is a piece left to have. I think the iPad has it, and that the uh, these other slates like the the Kindle Fire and these things that are uh, are going to be coming down the road, they're all going to be f- fighting for those same few million people. I don't think there are going to be more people clamoring for them. I think everybody who wanted a, a tablet pretty much has one. Yeah, and you know, I think you guys hit it right on the head when it comes to com- when you make the comment about let's make this you know an, an appliance and then not and don't worry about it again those tablet in the with the unity interface or even the windows 8 interface you're now getting down to the point where it's an appliance it's a toaster right or it's a stove it's not a computer anymore a computer is something you can tinker with and in unity you can't tinker with it and the testing i did and i used it for a month solid um you know, in order to get more than four desktops, you got to start adding other stuff and start doing some really tweak, some really big tweaks to get it to work right. Um, it, it just doesn't feel like a computer anymore. It's a toaster. Right. And and you're exactly who Shuttleworth is talking about when you, uh, you know, he derisively says people who are too cool to use something slick. Uh, I think he missed the mark there. What he really meant is power users, uh, people who uh, build guitars out of graphite <laughs> those kind of people yeah. um if you don't get listen to a couple of shows no. uh if you like tweaking things tablets don't let you tweak you know yep. uh, the iphone doesn't let you tweak uh, that that whole model of using things doesn't and yeah there are probably more tweakers uh non-tweakers in the world than there are tweakers uh but i i don't think that the mass market i don't think you're going to walk into um, a, a call center at, at uh, you know, a Fortune 500 company and see everybody there using a tablet on their desk instead of a PC. I, I just don't think that's what the way things are going to go. No, especially not for level one tax or something like that. You're going to get one of those, you know, super low-end PCs that will do one little function perfectly and then that's it. Well, since we've totally derailed the entire show, and actually I think <laughs> this is pretty interesting, so let's continue on. Hypothesize, guys. We'll start with you, Chris. What is the next interface going to be? You know, and I've actually thought about this a little bit when uh, some people asked me about what I thought about in the iPad and that of you know bringing the iPad into the environment. And I've always boiled it down to this: if you're in a consumption mode only, where you're consuming, you know, the internet, you're not creating anything. A tablet would work perfectly for you. Now, to get it to mass market, you're going to have to hybrid that even more. Maybe the the ideal home or the the ideal form of this, if you if we're going to push this tablet interface, some people is get them a keyboard and mouse and get the right, cost Chris, of a Chris, touch screen. On. I'm going to have to stop you. You're breaking up really badly. I'm going to let Seth answer this question, and then I'm going to hang up on you and call you right back. Okay. Um, so Seth, you take it away. Well, I mean, unfortunately, it's probably going to be something like the tablet. And the reason it's going to work is they're going to talk about how environmentally friendly it is, how it doesn't use as much power as a traditional desktop and a monitor. And then also, if you think about it from the enterprise, what company would not love to give everyone a tablet so they can track all of their use because you're going to take that tablet with you wherever you go and now the company is going to know exactly where you are at all times and unfortunately i think the tablet is probably going to be the way and i hate it because i'm a tinkerer i love to just tinker and you know break stuff and reinstall and figure out why that broke and then what else can i do but there, I've I've always been weird, and so I know that I am weird in that in that um, aspect. People don't want that. They want to be able to. I just want my thing to work. You know, it's like I don't care about the functions of a TV. I just want it to go to the channel I want it to go to. And if it breaks, I don't want to worry about getting it fixed. I'm just going to go buy a new one. Um, And they're going to be so cheap in the future that who cares if it breaks? The market for computer technicians is probably going to crash because everything is going to be the simple disposable stuff. Um, you know, in, in a throwaway society, unfortunately, it's just another thing you can throw away. You know, you can throw away a little tablet, um, but you can't throw away a desktop. 
All right, Chris, we'll, we'll go back and let you start over again. Okay. Um, my ideal thing for a, a, for this type of a market, if you're going to stick with the, the appliance and the toaster idea, is make it a hybrid. Give the give your consumers a mix of the tablet interface with an actual desktop, because that's the only way this tablet interface is going to take off. Give the the users the ability to tinker with a keyboard and a mouse, and get the touch screens down in price. You know the full twenty three inch monitors, because I think if they had, uh, if you say it, the minority report idea. If you could do gesture commands for some of this stuff, you would. If you had that ability to say, grab this whole um, this whole folder of pictures and you drag it across the screen, you know, like in my owner report, that's what people want. You know, they, they want they that ability really, to do. Or do they think they want that? Does anybody really want to get tennis elbow from interacting with a computer all day? See, that's everybody the wants it in theory. It's yep. one of those, oh, that would be so cool. I want that. It's like the Connects. Cause I've read several articles recently about Connects for working in the Windows environment. You know, everybody, ooh, that's awesome. Until you, I don't want to be playing Call of Duty, running through my house and jumping over the couch and coming up and shooting people. I want to sit down in a chair with my little controller and shoot people that way. Uh, that's exciting for me, not you know, with this whole connect interface, but I love the idea of a connect and think about it this way. What better for the hardware manufacturers to give you one device for consumption and another vi device for creation, you know, now instead of selling you one device, they're going to be selling you two devices and you've got to have one of each. You got to have the tablet to go with you and consume stuff. And then you got to have something else at home to allow you to create things. Um, well, I think the, the reason that the hybridization, like take the windows eight model, uh, is you're going to have your peripherals, your Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, and then you can get to the desk. I think that's the way Microsoft is looking at it. Um, but I, people always seem to go back to that gesture thing. And, and with, uh, with Siri, Apple's new product, uh, that's a voice command. People are saying that we're going to be talking to our computers in the near future. And, and that's fine too. I, I think that's great. I think there are times when I'm going to want to talk into my computer. I'd like to, um, walk into the house and say lights. That would be a cool thing to be able to do. I would like to, to do the whole Star Trek thing. Computer, um, who won the 1947 World Series? And it tells me. But I don't want that to be my primary way to, to do work, particularly if I work in a call center and there's 500 people on this floor all sitting in cubicles talking to the machines. That's bad enough. But having them talk back, gosh, what a, what a cacophony of noise that would be. Uh, so I think in the end, it's all going to come down to the good old-fashioned keyboard. That's there's a reason it's been around for what 150 or so years now, um, and I think See, it's got I, another 150 years in it. I would say I would agree with you, or longer. Um, the other thing I think everyone, I mean, think about who's designing and developing things now. They grew up watching Star Trek. You know what I mean? They, they you know, the idea of having a, a what is it a Hulu deck or no holodeck. holodeck holodeck the idea of having a holodeck around was the best idea, you know, you could go relive history. That idea, if we ever could get to that point, that's where these connect devices are going. You know, they want you to be able to interact with the world this way. Uh, is it there yet? No. <laughs> um, but would it be cool? Definitely. Do we need to go through these growing pains to get into these, the, the minority report computer acts, you know, thing or the having a, a holo, a holodeck? Yeah, but right now, no. I think I think you know Seth put it right. You're going to be people are going to be sold a consumption device and a creation device, and it's just going to make the market even more of a, a money sink. And I, when you were saying Seth that the you know you think the the market for techs is going to crash, uh, no, I think it's going to actually double or triple because if you have a house full of smartphones. Instead of having your the tech the tech market crash, what's going to happen is you're going to be specialized. You're going to have to know how to pop open a smartphone or pop open an iPad, do the internal repairs on those little circuit boards, and give it back to somebody. And there won't be any more monkeying with the OS. It'll be all hardware knowledge then. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I'm with Seth on this one. I think that that those will become disposable. There, there are no TV repairmen anymore. Uh, the ones that are don't have any business because when a TV breaks now, you go to Walmart and buy another one. And I think that's yeah. the way it's going to be. Or you send, you know, and then, or if you trade it in for a warranty or something, it goes to some factory where that's all they do is look at them. But the actual in-home come out to your house guy is not going to be, it's not going to be there, I don't think. Maybe something like a Geek Squad based in a Best Buy, maybe, um, where people come in. But, you know, there's nothing to work on, like laptops. It is so hard to work on laptops as opposed to desktops because it's so much smaller and more compact. It takes longer to take apart the case. Uh, parts are more expensive. Um, and if you're going to have me come out to your house to work on your laptop, if I'm there a couple of hours charging my normal rate, why pay that? I, for just a little bit more, I can go buy a brand new one. Let me give you a perfect example of that. I am a technology professional. I'm a hardware repairman. I work on laptops. That's part of my job. My wife's laptop broke, and I opted to buy her another one because it was getting old. It still did the job. Pretty much all she does is Facebook, right? She doesn't need much for that. Uh, but it's it, I justified it. It's about four years old. This is the third time it's broke broken. Um, I don't want to take the time to take it all apart and deal with all those little screws. And I could do it for free or you know virtually no cost. I could the power jack would cost me like six bucks or whatever. Uh, but instead, I went out and bought a new laptop, and that's at you know a thousand bucks. But you know when they're twenty dollars, and when I can pick one up at the Easy Mart while I'm filling up with gas. I don't think there will be any repairs. Well, yeah, when you get to that price point, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. But the other thing then you have to worry about is there is no safe way to dispose of e-waste that a consumer can get to easily. You always have to go to some large system, at least in my neck of the woods. I know you know you guys live in a bigger area than I do. Um, for us to yeah, do e-waste. Yeah, huge. <laughs> well, think about your area compared to my area. You know, I'm out in the sticks. In order to do e-waste, we have to have a company come up to Glendive to get it. Um, we have to actually schedule someone to come, you know, a truckload. We can't just say, here's, an, here's a laptop. I want it to be, you know, recycled. We have to have, you know, at least three pallets of stuff before they'll even think about coming up here. Yeah, well, but you're also not supposed to throw away neon uh, or comp- compact fluorescent light bulbs. But how many of those have gone in your trash in the last few years? Oh, none. I don't throw any away. <laughs> right. I haven't had one burn out yet. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> um, and I'm sitting on, you know, some of them are four years old. Um, I, I must use my lights more than you because I've replaced lots of them. Uh, but anyway, that the the idea, uh, what got me started on this was interface, right? We're, we're now talking about markets and that sort of thing. And by the way, we're just going to totally ditch the whole topic of the show. I'll re-record the intro later on. This is too good, and we're like 40 minutes in anyway. Um, so, But the, the idea of the interface, you're, you're, what is your computer going to be in, uh, what year is this, 2011? Uh, 20, uh, 2031, 15. 20 years from now. I would say 15. Now. Okay, you want to go that? So, just, no, I want to go farther go five years from now. I want to go farther down the line from that. Uh, touching on Siri, Siri is not only voice activated, that sort of thing, but it's also got a personality. Do we want our machines to have personalities? Again, that's one of the things that we always sort of strive for in science fiction. But do we really want that? Do you want your computer to be a smart ass, or do you just want it to do stuff? Well, most, again, in theory, people probably like that, but everybody I know hates the and it's rudimentary, but the personality in Facebook, hey, this is the top story. You want to see this. Hey, these are the posts that I think you wanted to see. And if you want to see what everybody else did, you got to scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. I personally hate that. I, You know, it's like, no, I followed those people for a reason. Why can't you just get out of the way and let me interact with those people and not you? And I want my computer to not try to anticipate what I want. I want it to do exactly what I tell it when I tell it. Well, what um, about Chrome? When you have a Chrome error, instead of saying error 404, it says, aw, snap, something went wrong. I mean, are you okay with that? I don't use Chrome. Uh, okay, well, um, uh, or when here's one that bugs me. When I call uh, like an automated phone system and it says, okay, I'm connecting you now. Don't say I'm. You're not a person. Don't say I'm. 
you know, the the system is going to something like that. But um, maybe what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to have an increase on, in artificial intelligence before the interface. Like, uh, you know, we've all seen, um, I'm going to assume that our audience has all seen uh, Iron Man 1 and 2, right? The, the Jarvis interface uh, was good because it was voice activated. It was gesture based. It was touch based. And it had a personality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of science fiction, that's sort of what we always want our computers to be. But I wonder, do we really want Jarvis? Um, how in- communicate talking is very inefficient. Typing a few com- keyboard commands, especially if you're a command line godfather and can can drop to the ca- command line and type three characters, is a whole lot faster than saying, Jarvis, I'm falling to my death, uh, reboot the reactor or whatever. Yeah. See, and I always, when, with that type of a uh, question that she threw, at, threw out here, I would say that, you know, the whole, do you want a smart ass for a computer? The question I always I always think of then, because this has been brought up in my own discussion a few times with other people. Do you like the show House? Because if you like the show House and you like the character House, then you probably want a smartass for a computer. If you think the character that House is, and you don't like it at all, or ain't, which way did I go the first way? If you like House, you're going to want the smartass. If you don't like House, then you're not going to want a smartass. That's what it seems to boil down to. Um, and I don't know if that's just the people I talk to, but everybody that says, I hate house, I don't want my computer to act like a smart ass. Well, and then you've, I, got, just, you've got, uh, right now we have designers for forcing things on us. You know, we, we've complained yeah. about unity and, and people complain about the, the iOS because the designers are forced things on it. What happens when the designer decides your personality, right? And particularly in the early days of personality, there's not going to be, there's going to be the basic one. And then there's going to be the one that you can pay extra for, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the sexy woman voice costs more, uh, or the Darth Vader. Yeah. Or, the, or that sort of thing. But, um, and we're getting way out in science fiction land here and I get it, but, but these are all questions that are related to modern problems. And that's yep. the kind of point I wanted to make. When you start making interface decisions, it always comes down to one or a few people making interface choices for everybody. You don't like Unity, Mark Shuttleworth says you're a fringe case, and most people do. Um, so I just it it granted that thought. What is the perfect interface? Um, is it you know, is it voice? Is it gesture? Is it touch? Is it uh, um, keyboards? Is it all of the above? Is it neural? I mean, do do we really not get anything until we get a neural interface where we just think? I mean, is that going to be the ideal interface? I think personally, I think it's going to be a mix of everything. In order, you know, since we're, we're we kicked the the timeline out so far, maybe it'll be a thing where it's a mix of everything. Where you have the Jarvis interface that you brought up, where you can actually go, you know, Joe, I want Joe make me a sandwich. In the house, pseudo Joe make me a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I was letting you have the pseudo, <laughs> but but you know you what know, I mean. That's yeah. True. I mean. The only way I can think about it is if, since the since you kicked the timeline out so far, is if this was actually, you had everything. You had a chip in your head. You had gesture control. Everything was there. And you could program it however you wanted to. But then you're getting to the point where the computer programmers aren't involved anymore because the computers are being, you're being smart enough to do your own computing or your own programming. Yeah, and that's the scary part. I mean, golly, because most people—that—that's uh, just terrifying when people do their own programming, uh, you know. Because think of how many programmers. No, wait, wait, there wait are. a minute, Seth. That's the birthplace of personal computing. Up until maybe 15 years ago, there was no difference between user and programmer. This is an entirely new model that there—that there is a difference. That we have a consumer and we have a programmer. Well, I know, but did, when computers first came out. Not everybody had them. The only people who had them were those people who would do programming. And so, you know, you had most of the people were either kind of geeks or tinkerers or, you know, garage guru type things. And so naturally, they're the ones who are going to do programming. But, you know, you take that's not the mindset of most people. And when computers came out, that's. That's why most people didn't have them. But think of how long we've had our current interface. You know, it's been almost 25 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm thinking like when Windows 95 came out. So 
you know, I'm thinking more closer to 20 because I see a difference between like Windows 3.1 and, you know, you first had your DOS and your command line stuff and then you had a a real GUI and then you went to the point and click GUI of like, uh, I guess, NT351, 95, 98, XP and even Vista and 7 is more a refinement of XP versus anything new. Right, there were refinements on that decade and a half old design. Right, so I... I, the sad part is we're kind of we're overdue for a new desktop paradigm, but I I don't know. You know, is the desktop dead? I mean, I don't really see how you can change the desktop paradigm much. And so, if you want to innovate, you almost have to force a new category like tablet on someone. Um, and again, the tablet interface isn't anything new. It looks pretty. It looks remarkably similar to like Windows three point one. Um, yeah, I I think unfortunately in a lot of ways we're starting over again. Right. But maybe you have to because we're we're back to the constrained hardware. You know, one of the reasons interfaces looked like they did back then was you had constrained hardware. Now you're doing uh, handheld devices that have the same sort of memory constraints and storage constraints. Um, and so that forces and enforces a certain way of doing things. Right. You know, just as a thought here, maybe we're also in the same boat that, say, automobiles are in, too. I mean, look at the automobile market. We're supposed to have flying cars by now. You know, if you remember all those things. So maybe we're in the same type of market with the tech um, where we're, we've been promised so much and that we're getting to the point now where we're not getting anything technically new it's just refinements upon refinements. Where is the new thing that we've been promised? Where is this new flying car or the the new, you know, Jarvis interface that we've been clamoring for for you know fifteen years? So, well, I've always said that the reason we don't have flying cars is because uh, cordless phones were more important. Because you see those <laughs> movies of the '60s, right? They're wearing aluminum clothes and driving flying flying cars, but all their phones have cords on them. Um, <laughs> but that's not what people wanted. People wanted cordless phones. So uh, maybe people don't want a talking interface because if they did, we'd have it by now. Yeah, oh, that's true. Well, and I mean, it is, especially with the English language, maybe one of the most complicated languages, because if I just say the word right, you don't know what I meant. Was I talking about putting stuff down on paper or was I talking about the direction or was I talking about that is correct? And so right. think of, think of the programming and the personality that has to go into something to be able to differentiate that, you know, are you going to write that today? Well, am I going to put it on paper or am I going to correct what was wrong? How, do, how does it know? Um, but that Whereas boils down I'm, to contents too. You know, yeah. the context of, of what you're talking about at the moment of that statement. Uh, right. And that's the same problem we have with with, uh, with all these computer viruses or the, the accidental viruses, I should say, the, the security holes. A lot of those security holes are context related. You know, you, you've created this wonderful web-based service, but then you forgot to sanitize the input fields. <laughs> you know so so mr johnny drop tables is gonna kill your whole network i was just laughing at uh the <laughs> fact that you use sanitize your inputs you really are a geek <laughs> and none of us <laughs> called him on it that's right we all kind of nodded and went yeah that makes perfect you got to sanitize your inputs <laughs> see <laughs> but you know that, that's that whole idea where it, you know if you if you're gonna build a voice-based system Dragon, naturally speaking, or any of the programs similar to that, they're never going to be perfect. You're going to end up in the point where you they can't understand context. So you have to figure out a way of programming context into the into the software to get the sarcasmness. If well, someone's being exactly sarcastic, that's exactly what IBM tried to do with Watson, and and they did a pretty good job of it. Uh, yeah. Watson, um, if you saw him perform on Jeopardy, uh, could interface in many ways as if a person would um and so and that's a that's a version 1.0 uh 
Now, right now, it takes a room full of servers, but I saw a cost breakdown. If you wanted Watson for your Fortune 500 company, it was only cost you like less than a million dollars. Um, so that's that's really not a big deal. Um, in in that grand scheme, you know, NASA could probably buy fifty of them uh, for the cost. You know, uh, the Army could buy a uh, hundred of them for the cost of one fighter jet. And yeah. so, what happens if you link a hundred Watsons together? You know, maybe then you have what you're talking about. You have, have the Google. U.S. Congress. <laughs> you have Skynet. <laughs> what you have. We have Google. Yeah, we have Google and Skynet. And then, but then the other problem comes into is, do we even want that type of a system right now with the unrest that we have politically in the world? Because, I mean, think about that for a moment. You know, we have these ginormous supercomputers that could easily do this, the Watson thing. Would you want one of those pointed at your nation? That's true. You know, that's a, that's a scary thought because, I mean, right now we have, like, Anonymous, which is a bunch of, you know, persons. There are a bunch of people that are causing all this havoc. What would you do if you had 100 Watsons with that same, you know, mindset where they're going to take somebody down? That's Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> so we've gone from Siri to Skynet in the span of about 10 minutes. Um, but you know, I, to, just to bring the thing back a little bit, um, I don't know, why, why do I even care? <laughs> why do I care about semblance of order here? Uh, but just the idea of interface again, we, you know, we're talking about, we've ragged on GNOME three, we've ragged on, uh, unity, we've ragged on windows eight. It seems like anything new at this point, um, is bad, uh, at least among a certain subset. All right. Uh, the tinkerers, like I said, um, what does it take to make everybody happy? Well, we didn't rag on KDE yet, so. <laughs> well, I'm sure we That's, will. <laughs> well, and, you know, with with my plans right now with KDE, it has enough uh, enough system uh, enough similarity with you know it's always been a certain way that it's it's still f- normal, but it still has enough future p- you know future stuff in it where it's more than that. Um, one of the things that I thought was really neat is I threw KDE, and I don't remember what distro I had it in, but I dumped it on a netbook, and it actually knew that it was, I was running on a netbook that had the ability to run a 3D desktop, but knew it couldn't do the disk indexing, so it automatically turned all that off. I didn't have to turn it off. It did it for me. I'm I'm... I'm sorry, I'm underwhelmed by that. Why is that a big deal? Well, in like, say, GNOME and Windows 8 and Windows 7, for that matter, you have a disk indexer that's running, regardless if you're on a super hopped-up machine or a simple netbook, that causes I.O., that's problem, you know, that's performance hitting. The ability for an environment like KDE to actually notice and feel that okay, this is causing an issue with our with our performance. We need to automatically tune this off and turn it on when I have the ability to. Yeah, but isn't that exactly the kind of thing that that Linux geeks, tinfoil hat guys, yell about uh, Windows doing is taking power away from the user and making decisions for you? Well, it is taking, but it's not taking it away because you can still go in and turn it back on. I mean, you can if you manually turn it back on, it stays on. But the, I was just really impressed with the fact that it automatically tuned the inner the the way my environment was to the hardware I was in. Like when I was when I throw it on this laptop that I'm running on right now, the thing runs with all the bells and whistles on. But if I were to, to you know unplug it, and it now senses that I want a battery, it automatically kicks in. Okay, no desktop themes, no no um, indexing and it, it realizes this stuff for me. GNOME doesn't do that. Windows 7 never did that. So I think if we could figure out a way to mix the environments, you know, some of the best features of each one, we'd end up with a better system than these all these separate ones. We just need Steve Jobs to come and tell us what it is we've actually wanted all this time. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, maybe that is what it's going to take. Maybe it's going to take somebody um, who doesn't ask you what you want 
but tells you what you want. Uh, you know, I don't know where that guy is. Uh, or it, but, but having a guy like that, you're always going to have fight back. You're always going to have a, a group of people that, yeah, they, they hear the words that the guy speaks and says, oh, yeah, that's good for everyone but me. Right. You know, how, how many people in Linux are that type of a guy? I think they, most they, of them. I think most yeah. of the users are the cantankerous old coot. Um, and we, we like, particularly on this show, we like to sugar, sugarcoat it and say it's for your mom, but uh, your mom doesn't listen to this show and never will. Uh, the the community of Linux users are the disenfranchised outcast for the most part, and they like to be. They've cast themselves out. Yeah. So we're going to rename the Linux community to the John C. Dvorak community. <laughs> <laughs> Cranky geeks. Uh, but, you know, that's where we're sitting at is we're we're fighting – you know, technically, if we're going to fight this fight, we're unarmed and, un- and undermanned for as far as the Linux community goes, because we're going to get steamrolled. Um, we need to find a way to come behind something in order to to make a better world for everyone else, so to speak. Well, not to get to we are the world on it. Um, what, Chris, what could the Linux community get behind? It's That's not going to be unity. It's not oh. going to be unity. It's not going to be no three. We're not going to no. get behind one of those things. Um, what is it going it, to take? It's going to take someone coming up with something that is so it, that takes a piece from everything and figures out a way to mix it into best. Um, and we've had attempts at that. Look at Enlighten, the Enlightenment desktop. They tried to do that and they failed. I mean, as far as I know, there's only one distro that runs it straight out of the box. It's going to take someone figuring out how to get those, you know, the best of all the worlds. And put them into one system. You know, here's the thing. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) one ring to rule them all, and it could already be out there. You know, because everybody, popular culture says Apple invented the iPod. Well, they didn't. It was invented by DEC. Um, Apple just convinced people that they needed the iPod in order to function in life. Um, So, you know, maybe it's we just need somebody to prove to us that's what we need. Um, And I don't know. I don't know how to do that or if you really can do that. But. And I don't know what my point was going to be to follow that up, so never mind. <laughs> okay, well, I think we've come to a a natural ending point of our rambling. I, there is one other thing in the show notes that I wanted to mention uh, because it is geek uh, centric, and that is NaNoWriMo, <laughs> the, <laughs> the National Novel Writing Month. Yes, which is November. Um, uh, yeah, I, I signed up and you're, the thing is you want to get a 50,000 word novel. You start November 1st and you end by the end of November. And I, I got maybe 2000 words the, the first year I tried it and you know, that's cause I did it a couple of days and then I stopped. Um, but yeah, so, and I never could pronounce it. NaNoWriMo, um, yeah, you heard it here first. I made it up. That's what we're going with. Uh, yeah. See, and I'll bring up one more thing if we're going to end the show now, but this uh, November is also the, what is it, Movember, where you're supposed to grow a mustache yeah, no or something shaving. accordingly. Yeah. No, yeah, no shave November, just to help promote men's health. Huh. Yeah, uh, it, it's theoretically in the same way that uh, pink handkerchiefs at a football game bring awareness to breast cancer. Uh, big, ugly beards on guys who shouldn't grow them is supposed to draw awareness to testicular cancer. Yep. Um. So, anyway, um, I, I, I think we got it covered. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think we're gonna do a tip or, or anything of this week because we're we're over an hour already. Uh, this was just a conversation that I it turned out to be a lot of fun. I hope you listening to it had some fun too. We will have real content. Well, maybe um, at some point in the future. I'm not going to promise it next time, uh, but at some point in the future, we will actually talk about uh, uh, something educational. But if you maybe. have any content on this, uh, if uh, comment on this, if you want to let us know what you think about uh, 
interfaces or, or what the uh, what could be the one interface to rule them all and in the darkness bind them, uh, let us know uh, over at elementop.com. That's our website. There's forums there though you can uh, leave a post or you can uh, email us at uh, edl for everyday Linux at uh, elementop.com or give us a voicemail, 559-IMOP. Call that number, leave a Google voice message, and we'll play it on the air and we'll, uh, oh, on the air, on the electrons, and we'll share your thoughts with everybody else. Uh, guys, any more thoughts before I wrap this up? Um, uh, other than, no? go, I'll, I'll take first run, Seth. Um, send us something. We need some feedback. You know, we're, we're, we're starting to run to the bottom of our mills here. So bring something up, you know, root, you know, if, if it comes to it, you know, call us out, say we're a bunch of idiots, but something, come on. There, there's people downloading, there's people listening. We need your feedback. All right, Seth, anything you got to say? Uh, no, I look forward to hearing the community's thoughts on our future of the uh, computer interface. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think without further ado, that will end this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.